Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Investors have a lot to digest. Military exercises in the Taiwan Straits, corporate results and much more. Joining me now as we take a closer look at what is behind the market action is Sunny Hamid. He's Director for Wealth Management at Financial Alliance. Good morning, Sunny. Good morning. Good to speak with you. We're going to start off with corporate earnings, Mm -hmm. where it seems there's a mixed bag of results today. So here in Singapore, the electronics retailer Challenger is reporting a drop of nearly 50% in its first half profits. China Aviation Oil and Starhub are reporting double-digit drops as well. China Aviation Oil's profits down nearly 20%. Starhub reporting a 10% drop. At the same time, though, we've seen the banks reporting solid profits. And the agribusiness Wilma International reporting a 50% jump in its first half numbers as well. Sunny, help us make sense of this. What do you read into these numbers? Well, I think if you were to group them into two groups, mm-hmm. you would clearly see that uh, one of them relates to demand, consumer demand, domestic demand, and that's slowing very fast. And the other is probably related to high commodity prices, uh, high interest rates, which will help with interest, uh, interest gains right. um, um, or interest revenue for the banks. So we're seeing that now showing up in the numbers, um, uh, albeit I think it, it could get even more severe as we go into the uh, end, of, uh, end of the year um, as consumer demand uh, falls even more. In the case of Challenger, it seems its profits have been hit by a reduction in government COVID-19 support. China Aviation Oil's business was affected by COVID, but in a different way. The lack of flights in Hong Kong appeared to have taken a big bite out of its profits. Now, as we mentioned, the uh, banking sector is one of the best performers now and an interesting article on Bloomberg caught my eye this morning suggesting that DBS could potentially displace HSBC as Asia's largest bank. What do you make of this argument? I guess it really depends on, on quite a few factors. Hmm. One of course is basically both banks <clears throat> have their own backyards. Um, um, HSBC is probably very strong in China, uh, DBS in, in ASEAN. Um, it really depends on how these regions do. And again, also in terms of, of the sectors, the real estate sector, which I think both banks are exposed to, but um, China's real estate sector, which I believe HSBC may have a bigger pie, uh, is falling quite quite badly, or at least show signs of falling. So all these things, I think, um, it will have to, we'll have to see how it plays out. But at the same time, um, DBS does look like it's a little bit more defensive. Mm-hmm. And if there's any storm coming in the horizon, it mm-hmm. probably would weather it better. DBS shares are outperforming HSBC, have been over the past month. DBS has enjoyed a 7.5% gain, while HSBC is basically flat. If we take a longer-term perspective, though HSBC has been outperforming, it is up 20% since January and 35% over the past year. All right, Sunny, let's turn to geopolitics. The world has been riveted this week. Focus on U.S. Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan and China's reaction to the visit. 
Yesterday, Beijing began military drills around Taiwan, which many see as a potential practice run for how China could blockade the self-governing island. And for the first time, China launched missiles over Taiwan and Japan says at least five of these missiles have fallen into waters that it claims as an exclusive economic zone. Several airlines, including Singapore Airlines, have had to cancel flights to Taiwan due to these military exercises. Now, Sunny, while the financial markets have been rattled, there doesn't appear to have been a huge disruption to equities or other assets this week. Some strategists, though, still worry that Pelosi's visit could have a longer-term deep impact. Are this week's events leading you to rethink your longer-term investment strategies at all? Well, most of the time, geopolitical events, are, the actual physical events are, are quite short-lived, as we've seen. The longer-term ramifications, basically, I, I don't think it's going to have a, a permanent impact on markets. If anything, both China and the U.S. are just going to remain at loggerheads. I think Pelosi's visit, in my own opinion, was, was to counter China's growing influence in the region, and that's why her, her trip was more of a regional trip with the creation of what we call the BRIC consortium, mm-hmm. which was gaining momentum. I think the U.S. had to somehow or another come in and short-circuit that to a certain extent. So therefore, I think there were reasons behind her visit, mm-hmm. uh, and not, it wasn't only China, but it was more of a regional, regional situation. Yeah, I want to pick up on that theme. So Pelosi's visit to Taiwan also highlights the important role that the island has to play in the global economy. It is home to the world's largest chip maker, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company that produces the chips that pretty much go into everything from smartphones, cars, refrigerators, and its clients include Apple and NVIDIA. So Sunny, could the semiconductor sector be affected by these heightened tensions moving forward? Yeah, I think every what COVID made everybody realize was that um, prior to that, you know, globalization was the key team. So no one worried about um, um, things about disruption in supply chain and, and even the China-Taiwan issue because when everybody's making money and trade is going on well, uh, no one thinks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what happened is everybody started to realize that there is this Achilles heel with respect to semiconductor, which, as you correctly mentioned, fits into every single electronic device in the world. <laughs> right. and, and TSMC being the largest one says that basically this is a key uh, a pain point or key for the global economy. Um, so what will happen is, and I think part of the visit is probably to try and get some on- part of onshoring, uh, the effort to onshore some of these um, manufacturing, uh, key manufacturing facilities, maybe into the U.S. itself. Interesting. Um, yeah, in order to prevent these kind of security issues coming up. The U.S. Congress did recently pass legislation to encourage more chip production on U.S. shores. Analysts, though, say that Pelosi's meeting with TSMC's chairman shows that the U.S. will continue to be reliant on Taiwan for semiconductor chips for some time to come. Uh-huh. All right, let's shift the markets to the markets and the global economy. So U.S. stocks were mixed overnight. The Nasdaq finished up 0.4%, but the Dow and the S&P 500 closed in the red. Many investors are worried about the risks of recession, and we have a couple of new data points to fuel this particular narrative. First up, the Bank of England has launched its biggest interest rate hike in more than 25 years. The Bank of England is also predicting a lengthy recession for the U.K. What do you make of this, Sunny? <laughs> it's not only the Bank of England. Uh, first of all, I mean, um, they are raising it. And, and, in, and inflation in England itself is expected to be in double digits, at least to peak in double digits, much higher than that of the US. Mm-hmm. So I think the pressure is a bit more on the Bank of England to 
faster, in fact, vis a vis the Fed. But when you mention about inflation and, and the Bank of England coming out to say that they do expect, uh, not inflation, recession, sorry, they do expect a country to fall into recession. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the IMF, yeah, the World Bank, many other major institutions are also warning that there could be a global recession in, on the horizon. Um, so I think globally we're seeing Europe potentially fall into a recession, including the UK. Emerging markets could be dragged into a recession. The US could be in a tech is in a technical recession, but not what we call a recession by definition. And China itself is struggling. So globally, I think when you put all the jigsaws together, we do have a world which is slowing and Mm. and the odds are tilting towards potentially even a, a global recession. All right. Next up, let's talk about semiconductor makers. Well, we we did just a couple of minutes ago, but semiconductor sales are slumping. Oil prices are falling too. Brent crude has fallen to ninety four US dollars a barrel. West Texas trading below ninety dollars for the first time since Russia invaded Ukraine. And this does not appear to be because of increased supply, but rather suppressed demand. So, Sunny, in your view, does this reinforce the argument for recession? Uh, yes, it does. And again, these numbers don't surprise because prior to this, when we were looking at what we call forward-looking indicators, uh, indicators showing consumer sentiment, mm-hmm. uh, those were really plunging. And therefore, these will translate into uh, lower physical demand for laptops, for computers, for games and such. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it shows up into the uh, hard numbers like uh, the semiconductor sales. Um, so yes, the answer is these kind of consumer-driven, aggregate demand-driven numbers are expected to continue to decline because of the um, slowing consumer demand. And, and there's this huge wealth effect, which in the first half of the day, was, was, there was a wealth destruction, both in terms of higher interest rates, which took away a lot of disposable income, mm. and also a decline in, in a lot of the assets, which took away a lot of the so-called valuation from assets that, that households used to think that they were very rich, mm-hmm. now only to realize that the whole chunk of it had been taken away by the market. All right, we've made a solid argument for the global slowdown, but I'm a journalist, so I have to at least <laughs> put in one contrarian argument. Sunny J.P. Morgan Chase has a trading model that implies that the risk of a U.S. recession is fading fast, and uh-huh. that model looks at equity prices, the debt markets, and commodities. Among these uh-huh. areas, J.P. Morgan Chase's analysts say that only metals are pointing towards a higher risk of recession. What do you think uh-huh. of this? Well, if it's based on markets, the, uh, well, I can't say they're wrong if you look at the assumption that they put in, meaning to say, in order for such models to model, let's say, a no recession scenario, mm. you would have to model that the markets start to pick up from here. Mm. Uh, you have to model that the bond news start to reflect such. Um, at this particular point, um, no one knows because as we go along, what we fear that is in the second half of the year, we're, not, we're going to see a new set of shocks. Yeah. And these shocks are basically what we call a default shocks and liquidity shocks. And that comes from that, that emanates from a slowing economy. So there's really this, this feedback loop here where if the economy starts to slow even more, we're going to see more defaults and we're going to see liquidity tighten up even further. Unless the Fed surprises and goes from QT to QE, and then I would buy into the argument by JP Morgan. But unless that happens, we're going to see the economy slowing. And I think I, I would bet that the odds are. We'll either see a mild 
moderate or major recession in the U.S., but so, definitely recession. It's a really elegant take on a, the contrarian model. Thank you, Sunny. Let's yeah. turn now to China, where Alibaba is reporting better than expected results. It grossed more than 30 billion U.S. dollars in the last quarter. Now, while this is better than expected, its results are still flat. The first time that this has happened in the company's history. Investors still bid up Alibaba shares on the news as well as that of other Chinese tech companies. Sunny, is this possibly a good time to get back into Chinese tech stocks? So selectively, yes. And I think um, because the fact of uh, the fact is basically when you look globally, tech has been beaten down and also in China quite badly. And we're seeing really some inflows into the U.S. tech sector as funds pick up uh, gems and, and so-called uh, better valuations and such. So it's happening in China also. Um, so I think there there could be some repositioning, uh, reallocation back into tech from funds. But it's left to be seen how far markets willing to take this higher. Another story from China caught my eye this morning, and it's related. Apparently, half a billion dollars worth of copper has gone missing in China. I don't know how this happens. A depot in Hebei has a 200,000 tons loss, you know, 200,000 tons less copper than it should have. And this discrepancy comes just months after a separate dispute that spans many locations in southern China over missing aluminium that was tied to 1 billion US dollars worth of lending. Very curious. We'll keep an eye out on that for you right here on Your Money. But first, let's turn to the Singapore market where the Straits Times Index is up nearly 5% over the past month. But it is in the red if you look at the uh, past three months. So, Sunny, is this a good time in your view to be looking at investing in Singapore stocks? Singapore has held up quite well within the region with, together with Indonesia and to a certain extent Malaysia, both of them who are commodity producers. Mm-hmm. Um, Singapore has its own unique situation where I think um, dividends are quite high uh, um, and also the Sing dollar is on a strengthening path. Okay. All said, mm-hmm. I think the, the overarching thing is basically will there be a mild, moderate or deep global recession going ahead? And, and basically that's going to dictate how best both Singapore and the rest of the equity world does. Um, currently, my view is that we're going to have a moderate recession globally. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think there's still a little bit more downside to equity markets or at best a sideways kind of meandering consolidation. Um, in this kind of situation, I think investors should do what we call dollar cost averaging, right. uh, not, not try to pick the bottom because I don't think we, we, we could see a slightly lower bottom or we could see sideways and that gives an opportunity for investors to gradually build their portfolio over a period of time with keeping in mind that potential shocks could emerge, but mm. because they're, they're dollar cost averaging, the risk isn't that high. Always great speaking with you, Sunny. Thank you. Have a great weekend ahead. Thanks for having me. He's Sunny Hamid, Director for Wealth Management at Financial Alliance. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.